0: This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host Ann Greenhall and I am here tonight with Mike Useem and together we are really honored and delighted to welcome Merrill Reese to the program. Merrill, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Ann. I'm very very happy to be with you.
0: Well, we're really pleased to have you as well, Merrill. And we like to invite a wide variety of guests from all levels of organizations. In fact, last week we had on a young man who's a recent grad from Penn who's begun his own investment company in order to help uh, address the financial debt crisis for hmm. young people. And so we have people from within industry, but also across uh, industry as well. And that's why we wanted to have you, Merrill, as the voice of the Eagles.
1: Well, I, I appreciate that, and I hope I can contribute in some way.
0: <laughs> I'm sure you will. So, Merrill, um, I'm going to share with Mike... I'm going to ask you a little bit of an oddball question first. You and I share two things in common, and one is your first name, M-E-R-R-I-L-L. Mike doesn't know this, but that's my middle name, Mike. So, Merrill, I'm just curious, how did you come by the first name of Merrill Reese?
1: Well, um, actually, uh, my parents were going to name me Michael, (laughs) And uh, my father was a dentist, my mother was a teacher, and somebody came into my father's office, and uh, they were talking about naming me Michael. And somebody said, you know, there's a Michael Reese hospital in Chicago. Why would you name your son after a hospital? (laughs) And so they, they reconsidered, and somehow or other... Uh, my mother came up with the name Michael, and that's what they gave Merrill. Merrill, and that's what they gave me.
0: Very good. And now the other little tidbit that you and I share in common is that we share the same birthday, September second.
1: <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> but but mine was in the eighteen hundreds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, not quite. But you but you have been the voice of the eagle Eagles for how long?
1: Well, this was my forty-first year.
0: Well, congratulations on that. And how about on that note, our producer has a wonderful clip lined up. So let's hear it.
1: Sure. Brady lines them up. He's back again. He steps up. He's hit. He stumbles. He is throwing it deep for the end zone, and it is batted around and incomplete. And the game is over. The game is over. The Philadelphia Eagles. Our Super Bowl <laughs> champions, Eagles fans everywhere. This is for you. Let the celebration begin. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Merrill, yeah. We could play that over but, and over and over
0: again the whole here in Philadelphia, excited. I am
1: I'm, I'm glad you played it because I needed reassurance that it really did happen. I needed another free <laughs> play of <laughs> that. Oh, right. So good. So uh,
0: I have so many questions uh, for you, but I will say that I have a number of people in our office, um, Mike's colleagues and mine, who are very excited Uh, about the fact that you are here. So I'm actually going to draw from one of the questions from a colleague. And so she asks, this is from Lucinda, she asks, being the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles and having a chance to see so many different transitions with players, coaches, from office and front staff, et cetera, what do you feel as a close observer were the keys to success with this particular 2018 Super Bowl winning Eagles team and coach?
1: Well, the, the, biggest, the biggest part of it all was unselfishness. I have never been around a team that blended like this team. This locker room was comprised of the, the most unselfish athletes they've ever been around. I, have, I never once heard a wide receiver, and they're usually pretty egotistical, <laughs> complain about not having enough balls thrown in his direction. I never once... Heard a quarterback, uh, a running back, say, I needed more carries. Not once. Um, When when the great second-year player, Carson Wentz, went down and Nick Foles moved in, the first thing he said at his press conference was, this is Carson Wentz's team. I Mm. will do my best to take this team the rest of the way, but this is first and foremost Carson Wentz's team. Mm. And you had a coach... In Doug Peterson, who was a great communicator, and that is so important because I do not believe the previous coach had communication skills, mm. and Doug's were ex- exceptional. Mm. He communicated to his players, communicated to his players, to his coaches, and the the entire atmosphere is one of let's band together and and we can we have no limit. This team from day one. Had a tremendous sense of, of with a with a great goal, a sense of one for all and all for one. It was just great.
0: Mm, so good. Could you say just a little bit more about uh, Doug Peterson's ability to communicate? What you what you mean by that? And then I'll hand the the baton to Mike.
1: Well, by that I meant he could talk to players one on one. He could speak to the the squad as a whole. He could talk mm-hmm. to, to the fifty three man squad. And he encouraged the players to come to him with ideas, with with plays that they thought might work. Yet at the same time, when they weren't performing well, when they when they weren't practicing the way that he wanted them to practice, he was able to crack the whip mm-hmm. and come down as an authority figure. But he was first and foremost somebody they liked and respected.
0: Mm-hmm. So good. Mike, do you want to follow up on that? Well, Meryl,
2: great to have you on the show. It's a pleasure to hear your voice in this medium, along with all the other <laughs> yeah. uh, broadcasts that we've heard. And let's stay on this for just a minute more on this issue of the unselfishness, mm-hmm. uh, the, the team overall, uh, the, the team above all. I guess I should put it that way. No complaints from wide receivers. You, you, you put all that so well. A question is, is this a kind of a bottoms-up outcome? Lots of players just happen to be of this mindset. They got talking. Mm-hmm. Is it top-down? The uh, <laughs> the coach, Doug Peterson, said, look, let's build mm-hmm. an unselfish team. I guess it's a, a wandering way of asking this question. Where did that come from? If that was the key to success, how was it built?
1: I, I think it started with the personnel department bringing in the right type of player. Mm-hmm. Uh, putting together players who were not just Good performers, not just talented athletes, but guys they felt were were high character people. I, I'll give you a, a, a great example. Uh, they brought in Legarrette Blunt, uh, the big running back who had um, played for several teams in the National Football League, and last year he played with the Patriots. I never met Legarrette Blunt personally before. I I had an impression of having seen him uh, as a, as a guy who. Uh, had had some problems in college at Oregon. He was kicked off the team for a while for slugging somebody at the end of the game. I think as a Pittsburgh Steeler, he had his moments uh, where he was not exactly following the team rules. So he came to the Eagles, and he he looked like kind of a, like a Marshawn Lynch. If you know Marshawn Lynch, they called him Beast Mode, and he would not communicate with the with the media. He never talked. And if even at the Super Bowl, when you had to speak with the media, he gave them one-word answers. And that's what I thought the Eagles were getting in, in LeGarrette blood. I mm-hmm. thought he was a big, tough, short yardage back, a guy that you could go to on third and one or fourth and inches, but not much more. And I didn't get to see him up close in the training camp sessions because I was on the field but during the training camp you don't spend much time in the locker room. It's when the season begins. And when the season begins you're you're in the locker room every day, you get to see the players. So it was the about the the fifth game, fourth or fifth game of the season, and the Eagles were out in California playing the Chargers. And he had a great game. I mean he he gained over a hundred yards. He had one run where he he carried the ball across the forty and I said he's at the forty the 45, he's at the midfield, he's at the 45-40. And then I said, they can't stop him. He's a runaway train. And I followed his run all the way down to the five-yard line where they finally stopped him and dragged him down. Took about three people. <laughs> so the, the following Tuesday, I was in the locker room, and all of a sudden, I feel a Garrett Blunt, who I didn't know personally, walking in my direction. And I'm thinking, uh-oh. And he stopped about three feet away, and he pointed at me, and he said, Merrill Reese, which shocked me that he even knew who I was. And then he said, I just loved when you called me a runaway train. <laughs> and the next day, I came in with a with a CD of that call, and I gave it to him, and he picked me up, and he said, my mom and dad are just going to love this. He turned out to be one of the most upbeat, positive, affable mm. individuals I've ever met in my 41 years. Just a terrific guy. And it was when you bring in a guy like Garrett Blunt, who adds so much to the personality of this team. There was a game in Kansas City where he, he didn't have any carries. And everybody expected that when they, the reporters went up to his locker after the game that he would complain well, I mean, here he is. He's, he's, and, and, he, and they don't, they don't, uh, they don't, uh, they're, they're expecting the negatives to come out. And instead, LeGarrett Blunt gets up and he says to the media, listen, whatever the coach wants me to do, I'll do. I'm here to be part of this team. If they want me to carry the ball, I'll carry the ball. If they want me to block, I'll block. I'm not worried about how many carries I get. But, but he was such a positive influence on this team. I mean, I was very, very sorry last week when I saw that he went, and this is life in the NFL, Mm -hmm. as a free free agent, he left and went to the Lions. Another guy who we're not sure is coming back this year is Chris Long. Mm -hmm. The defensive end, whether or not he retires, remains to be seen. But I don't think it's an accident that both Blunt and Long were part of the 2016 Super Bowl champion Patriots. When you take that kind of leadership, you Mm -hmm. take that kind of winning attitude and bring it into your locker room, it can only uh, act as a tremendous positive.
0: So great. Well, could you say a little more about Chris Long and his contribution?
1: Well, he's another guy. I I don't know how many of – I think think a lot of people have read this, that uh, Chris Long didn't take any salary this year, Mm -hmm. that he donated his entire salary – to, um, to, to his charity or charities, and mm-hmm. he's involved in a lot of a lot of things for the, the good of many many different types of people. and uh, he again uh, was a leader and he was not a starter, but every time he came into the lineup, he did something that impacted the game, including uh, making a hit, making a hit on Tom Brady, at the, the end of the, the Patriots game, and then Brandon Graham forced the ball loose, and Derek Barnett recovered it. But, but Chris Long was always making a big play.
0: Mm. So, Merrill, you've mentioned that uh, each of the examples you've given are examples of selflessness. And so when you describe someone like Chris Long as a leader, are you seeing selflessness as being part of that?
1: certainly it's part of it certainly a, a guy like chris long who is who is past 30 is a sounding board for other players mm-hmm. uh, other people like malcolm jenkins is another one who is involved also very heavily in the community has a great social conscience and is also kind of the the wise old guy in the secondary who can really lead and make sure the other guys are on the right page mm,
0: so good so when we talk about, you mentioned of the coach, that he was both liked and respected. Was that throughout the coaching staff? Was that a common denominator and part of the success of the team?
1: Well, I think the coaching staff as a whole uh, was like that. Uh, it was a great staff. Uh, Dick Vermeil told me many years ago <laughs> that to be a successful head coach, you have to surround yourself with people good enough to take your job. And he did. I mean, he had – I mean, Jim Schwartz, who's the defensive Mm -hmm. coordinator, has been a head coach and is certainly qualified to be a head coach. Frank Reich, who was the offensive coordinator, went on after the season and was hired to become the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. But this is – Deuce Staley, the running back coach, has been elevated to to, uh, assistant head coach. Mike Rowe, the wide receiver coach – has now become the offensive coordinator. These are all outstanding men, and they responded well to Doug Peterson. They were they were uh, people that he could bounce ideas off of. They were also guys who were liked and respected by the players.
0: Mm, very good. Mike, do you want to pick up on yeah, that? Yeah, Merrill,
2: let's stay on that for a minute. And looking into the season from preseason— I wonder if you could identify a couple of the most important decisions that uh, the owner made or maybe Doug Peterson, the coach, made that weeks later or even months later did pay off during the regular season, not to mention in the playoffs. So what are the two or three most important decisions that they took?
1: Well, I'll give you one right right off the top. And I think that Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, uh, was one of the people who was very, very influential on this decision. Uh, when he said, you know, Nick Foles is out there. Why don't we bring him in here to back up Carson Wentz? I always liked Nick Foles. Boy, did that move mm-hmm. did that move pay dividends. Because when Wentz went down, a lot of people felt that the Eagles were sunk. I mean, mm-hmm. they, he went down and, and uh, Nick came in and pulled out the game against the Rams, and that ensured the team of going to the playoffs. But not many people felt that without carson wentz who let's face it was this team's mvp that without their most valuable player that they could actually go to let alone win the super bowl so if if you're looking for moves that were monumental that was big the other moves that were important the moves to the moves to bring in the guys that i just talked about LeGarrette blunt signed as a free agent and Chris Long from the Patriots, they were big. And if you're looking for another move, uh, just just throwing this one in. See, there were so many so many deals like bringing in Tim Jernigan from the Ravens. These guys all contributed, but there was a player, uh, and I don't understand. We we talk about the science of the draft, and they have these combines, and they have what they call. <laughs> Pro workouts at the various college campuses. Mm-hmm. We just they had went one. went <laughs> through seven rounds of the draft. Seven rounds with drafts by 32 different teams. So you can do the math of all the players taken in the draft. And at the end of the draft, there was a player that nobody chose. Nobody. He was a running back from Wisconsin by the name of Corey Clement. And the Eagles signed him as a free agent, as an undrafted free agent, and he came in and was very impactful for this football team.
0: Very good. Mike, just let me remind everyone that you're listening to Leadership mm. in Action on SiriusXM Business Radio. I'm Ann Greenhall here with Mike Useem, and we have the pleasure of speaking with Merrill Reitz.
2: Merrill, really interesting in that as we think about the decisions on talent, uh, mm. maybe Nick Foles right. is the most... Vital one of all, but you've named three or four others. That gets the right people into the locker room. And then take it from there on what uh, the owner, uh, Jeffrey Lurie, or the coach could did or did do to bring out that selflessness and that team ethos that you said was so vital for the winning season.
1: Well, I'm going to give you something else. I don't know if this will answer that particular question. If you asked me before the season – and I've, I've seen all these different Eagles teams. I was very optimistic about this team. And I said, this team could be a playoff team. This team could possibly win nine or ten games. They could compete with the Cowboys to win the division. And I felt if they won the division and maybe, maybe stole one of the playoff games, that would be a very successful season but i added this caveat i said they could win 9 or 10 games if if they stay healthy because i have always believed that you could take any team you could take the patriots you could take some years the broncos any of these any of these talented teams and if if you took away three of their key players at the wrong time of the season a team that was potentially 13 and 3 could just as quickly be 8-8 eight and eight, hmm. or 9-7 or and seven at the best. And this team lost their best offensive lineman, Jason Peters. Hmm. They lost their all-purpose back return man, Darren Sproles. They lost Jordan Hicks, their best linebacker. They lost their best special teamer, Chris Maragos. They lost their kicker, Caleb Sturgis. And ultimately, they lost their MVP, Carson Wentz. Never <laughs> once did Doug Peterson make a mistake uh, or 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 ask and, and talk about the fact that, oh, we're in deep trouble, hmm. or how am I going to continue. He just said, next man up, next man up. He never, ever looked for an excuse. He never said to the team, listen, guys, this is going to be tough, but we've got to – no, he just said, I have confidence hmm. in – uh, Halapulavati Vaitai, who put in that left tackle to, to take the spot of, uh, of, of Jason Peters. He had confidence in, in Clement, who went in and became their third down back. They reached onto the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad, and they brought in a kicker by the name of Jake Elliott, <laughs> who made critical kick after critical kick, including the 61-yarder against the Giants, mm. the longest field goal in Eagles history. And so on down the line... One guy would come in, and this team would keep on going in a winning way. And and that was the big thing. No excuses, just next man up. And, and the other thing by Doug Peterson, and, and this is a trap that teams often fall into, uh, they say, all right, the next three weeks we're going to have three tough games. We've got to be able to go 2-1, and one, or or we've got to at least get one of these next three games. Doug Peterson took the team each week, and he said, "Let's go 1 and 0." This team and Doug Peterson never changed from first game to the Super Bowl. They were never—you never—I'm in that locker room. I'm around these guys. You never saw tension mount in the way they they deported themselves. You you never saw this team start to act differently as the stakes grew. They were, they were fun. They, they had a lot of fun. They were serious on the practice field. But they went out there and they played like they, they enjoyed being around mm-hmm. each other. They worked hard. But, but the, the, you, you get into the day before the game and I fly with them. That, those plane rides were just as lively and upbeat no matter what the game mm-hmm. meant. This team stayed level. And Doug Peterson, here he is, a second-year head coach, and he never, ever reflected the
2: pressure. Merrill, a quick follow-on question. As you've described in such great detail, the Mm -hmm. chemistry, the people, the chemistry that put them together, the coaching, the leadership, and the locker room, to what extent is it sustainable? So let's go into the next season, talk a bit about what you anticipate coming up.
1: I don't know. And, and, and I'm being as honest and as candid as I can possibly be because Garrett Blunt is gone. Mm-hmm. And Vinnie Carey, a very upbeat and high performing defensive end, is gone. We don't know if Chris Long is coming back. Uh, the, uh, Brent Selick, mm-hmm. the, the longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia and a, a great human being, is gone. Um, Tory Smith, a wide receiver who made some big plays, particularly in the playoffs, is gone, and uh, so on down the line. And it's a uh, Bo Allen, mm-hmm. who was a rotational guy, a, a defensive tackle, who who came in and played with a lot of a lot of spirit and a lot of a lot of intensity, is gone. And there will be more players gone. This is, and I'm not blaming the Eagles for this, because this is a sport that has a salary cap. And it's very difficult to maintain that chemistry year in and year out. That's why when people say to me, who's the greatest coach of all time? I, 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 don't, even, I don't even think twice. I will tell you it's Bill Belichick. Because even though that cast has changed year in and year out, The two constants are Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. And the fact that in their tenure they have won five Super Bowls, played in more, but won five Super Bowls is remarkable. So for me to sit here and tell you that without Frank Reich, the offensive coordinator, without these players, uh, without the the, uh, quarterback coach, uh, uh, DiFilippo, who did a great job, uh, that that this chemistry can remain the same, I can't tell you that. But I, I know that they have a great head coach. They have a terrific organization. They still have leaders on this team. But you have to see how it evolves as the season goes on.
0: Mm, Meryl, well, we're going to pause there. We're going to take just a short break. But we will come back, and I hope our listeners will stay tuned. This is Leadership in Action on Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ann Greenhall. I'm here with Mike Useem. And our guest this hour is Merrill Reese. So stay tuned. Come back. Welcome back to Leadership in Action on Sirius XM <laughs> Business Radio powered by the Wharton School. I'm your host, Ann Greenhall. I'm here tonight with Mike Yuseem, and our guest this hour is Merle Reese, broadcasting legend and voice of the Philadelphia Eagles. Merle, um, at the, just before the break we were talking about the topic of leadership and, and particularly leadership of players and also coaches. We have a clip here that we would like to play uh, because it speaks to the issue of leadership, especially when it comes to players and coaches.
1: Foles in the gun, Clement who is right now lines up behind Foles. Foles moves to the right. It goes directly to Clement. Clement reverses it, and the pass goes into the end zone. To Nick and Foles. A touchdown by Nick Foles. <laughs>
0: So Merle, from from our uh, from our listening audience, a question from uh, Umi Hauer. Ask Merle Reese if he honestly thought Saint Nick was going to catch the Philly special when the ball was still in the air.
1: <laughs> well, when the ball, you have to understand something: uh, radio does not get get a fair shift at some of these new stadiums, uh, where the the television people are at about the fifty yard line and they have great big monitors in front of them. Uh, radio at that stadium, uh, U.S. Bank Stadium, was in the corner of the end zone. And so oh. when that play went on, it we were 120 yards away. It was the opposite end zone. Oh, wow. 120 yards away I was from that play. So as Corey Clement took the ball, I had to wait to see. I, didn't, I, I knew that he pitched it, but I only had an a side angle of who he pitched it to. It turned out to be Trey Burton. And I said he reverses it. There's the pass into the end zone. Now, even from 120 yards away, deep in the corner, I see the nine. And I'm thinking, Nick Foles? (laughs) And because if it's 29, it's Garrett Blunt. So I waited a count. Of course, Mike Quick, who was sitting next to me doing the color, uh, has a TV monitor over near his side. And he picked up Foles quickly. But at the same time, I then saw it was Foles. But by the time I saw it was Foles, he had already caught the ball. So the mystery (laughs) was gone. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know what? Uh, I will tell you this. He catches better than Tom Brady, who had a pass (laughs) thrown to him in the Super Bowl, and he dropped it. (laughs) That's right.
0: All right, Mike, do you have a follow-up? I want to make sure I don't hog all the uh, airtime here.
2: Yeah, Meryl, let's uh, shift a little bit to... Your service as a broadcaster—it's mm-hmm. uh, an—it's an amazing uh, seat you sit in. And could you just describe how you prepare for a game, and then during the game, what are some of the ways in which you uh, stay focused, uh, are are picking up the essence of the play? What what's in your mind before and then during the game?
1: Well, uh, going into a game. Uh, almost from the time a game ends, um, I begin my preparation for the following game. Mm. And I, I, if, if we're on the road, if, if we, we have a home game, I will come home after the game and watch the Sunday night game on television mm. while I get my flashcards together. And, and during the week, my wife, Cindy, um, who is uh, now a retired teacher, uh, takes the flashcards and if you're playing the Patriots, she's yelling out, 33, and I'm yelling back, Deion Lewis, or <laughs> 80, and I'm saying, Danny Amendola, oh, 15, uh. I'm yelling, Chris Hogan, and so on down the line. So so we're, we're getting those numbers down very, very quickly. Fortunately, I I have a photographic memory so that if I have four numbers or five numbers listed on the right side of the card, When she yells the number, I know immediately that that's the third one down on the right. I can picture it. So uh, I I memorize that stuff during the week. I also go to NovaCare, their practice facility, every day. And I am in the locker room, and I am out on the practice field for a while. And I am talking to coaches, and I am at their press conferences, Uh, Doug Peterson, Uh, has been wonderful with me. Um, I get to spend an uninterrupted hour with him every single week. It's a a Wednesday at about 11 o'clock where we can just sit and chat and chat about anything. Sometimes it's about golf, but mostly (laughs) it's about football and what to expect Mm -hmm. that week. And he he trusts me and he knows that that I have a a filter where I know when he gives me information about a player – or what his evaluations are, that I use them from my own knowledge, not something mm. that I'm going to spout off and, and give the opponents uh, any kind of an advantage. Mm. So I go through that with the coach. I travel with the team. I'm on their team plane. Um, on the, uh, No matter where I am, I do a show on Monday night. Uh, I do a show on, on WIP. I do a show on Thursday nights on a station that I am managing partner of up in Levittown. I'm I'm vice president and general manager of WBCB up in Levittown, and uh, I do a show there on Thursday nights. Uh, I will from time to time have speeches and appearances, but no matter what time I come home, uh, I go to my study, and it can be 10 o'clock at night, and I put in another two hours, two and a half hours in game preparation, uh, looking at video, Of the upcoming team, getting to see their offense, getting to see their defense. I get up every morning at about six. I do a live piece for KYW Radio (laughs) at 6:15 from the house, uh, where they ask me questions and I ad lib answers. Uh, From there, I go up to Levittown to my station and hold a sales meeting. I then drive from Levittown down to Novacare, and I spend the better part of the day there. And again. Uh, No matter what time I come home, it is a matter of of putting the time in, in my study. I try to take a little bit of a breather on Saturday, the day before a game. If it's early in the season and we are home that weekend and the weather is nice, I will take part in my other passion, which is golf. I will go out and play 18 holes of golf. If Now, during the spring... Uh, once the snow is gone and the weather is iffy and it, it can can be blustery and 40 or it can drizzle, I'll go out and play. During the season, I turn into a wimp. Two <laughs> drops and I'm out of there because I can't afford to catch a cold. So, uh, but I too, try to get that that little bit of uh, away from it, a little bit of that relaxation on Saturday. I wake up Sunday. I can feel the pounding in my chest, even (laughs) after 41 years. I am very, very nervous. If we're home, uh, Cindy will get up and make me a big stack of pancakes, or if we're on the road, I will have a big stack of pancakes because once I get to the stadium, I cannot even look at food (laughs) until the game is over. My broadcast partner, Mike Quick, is able to eat breakfast with me, have another breakfast when he gets to the (laughs) stadium, eat right through the broadcast. He doesn't doesn't bother him at all. But I am I am extremely nervous. Uh, usually at for the home games at eleven fifteen. I I know uh, as far I leave from home uh, for a one o'clock game at about eight fifteen mm. because I wanna know that if I have four flat tires <laughs> I can still hitchhike my way or walk my way somehow from Bluebell down to the stadium. Uh, on the road, I don't worry about that because I'm on one of the team buses. So, um, you know, if if they don't make it, I'm with them. So there's all not right. starting the game until the, the team buses get there. So I'm not worried about that. But I like to walk. I, I park, if it's a home game, I park in the, in the uh, lot, the special lot, and then I walk through the parking lot. And on the way, uh, all the fans, believe me, I get to the stadium about five after nine and uh the, the the trailers and the barbecue pits and everything else all the tailgating is already going on mm. so walking from the lot to the front of the to the press entrance i encounter a lot of fans who will often ask me to take a picture to sign something they offer me my the food <laughs> and drinks which i politely decline mm. i make my way to the the press entrance uh, go through security go up to the press box um sit in the in my booth and and go over notes at 11:15 I go down on the field and I do at 11:30 uh, I mean I watch watch the ups from down there uh I will I will go on television on channel 3 and do the first part of the the uh, the CBS pregame show so I do the pregame show at about 11:30 I come ap- back up to my booth At 12.10, I go on our WIP radio pregame show. They're out in the stadium concourse. I'm speaking to them from the booth, so I do that. I watch the warm-ups carefully. I chart the kickers to see how the wind is affecting. I know going into a game that Jake Elliott is pretty good from, say, 60 yards, or in this case, maybe going left to right, against a strong wind, Uh, he may only be uh, consistent from, say, 48 yards. I watch the punter. I look for certain players who have had injuries during the week to see if they're out there during the Mm -hmm. warm-up. Mike Quick comes into the booth, and he will often say to me, "Uh, Merrill, how are you going to hit me? What are you going to open with? And I write the first paragraph. Uh, that that I use when we go on the air, so that I don't come on the air and then hunt and peck or, or or jump around. I pretty much have my my opening written, and I I often don't write it until I'm up there at the booth where I where I feel something at twelve fifteen or twelve thirty about the atmosphere. It could be it's a it's a gorgeous day and the fans are still flocking into the stadium. It could be. Uh, it's the Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, and the skies of December serious. Something <laughs> that I, something that I feel at that moment. Uh, our producer, Joe McPeak, starts to count it down. Uh, once in a while, I'm also on the uh, the visiting radio show. Mm. I go into another booth, say at twelve twenty, and jump on with them for a uh, five minutes. Uh, But basically, I'm back in the booth, and when Joe McPeak, our producer, says, all right, we have two minutes, I can feel that great big bass drum beat, and when he (laughs) says, 30 seconds, stand by, and then suddenly he taps me on the shoulder, and everything, all of that nervousness dissipates, and it's replaced by energy and excitement, (laughs) and a feeling that I can't even describe, because for the next Three hours, I am floating, and I am loving every minute of it. I am in a, a complete zone, I think is what you would call it i I sit with Mike to my right to my left is Bill Warndell, who is my spotter. My spotter has a board two boards, one with with the Eagles, one with the opposition, flips them over one side is offense, one side is defense. And I use him not so much to point, although he will point if, if the ball goes to Corey Clement, he'll point to Corey Clement. But I'm not concerned about that because I have that down pat. What he really helps me most with is the things that, that happen away from the ball. I'll come back, and friends will say to me, hey, how did uh, how did Jason Peters, uh, or if he was in, or how did... How did uh, uh, you know, as anybody uh, play today on the offensive line, I'll say, geez, I mean, they appeared to, to play all right. I mean, I'm. I Jason Kelsey looked like he was playing well. I didn't see any sacks in his direction, but I don't really know. But what I do know is after a play and after I say, uh, look, Garrett Blunt carried for 15 yards on a first down, Billy, who is my spotter, will point down at, let's say kelsey's number and he has a hand signal where he hits his open left hand with his right fist so we have about 30 hand signals between us wow. and that will tell me that jason kelsey threw a good block on that play or if he takes his arm in a throwing motion and puts acts like he's throwing and then points down to chris long number 56 That will tell me that Chris Long put the pressure on the quarterback just as he was releasing the ball. Mm. Or we we have about 30 different different signals to describe hand signals silently what is going on away from the play, and I use that. And then immediately you look over to Terry Small, who is my statistician, who has a great big grid and will point to a number. It could be 15 to tell me that Blunt picked up 15 yards, or or minus two to tell me that so-and-so lost two yards, or right before a play, and it's third down, and the Eagles are driving with the football, he may show me a fraction and show me that the Eagles are are, are three for six on converting third down opportunities. So there is... A lot going on in that booth.
0: Mm. Merle, I'm going to jump in just to remind everyone that you're listening to Leadership in Action on SiriusXM XM Radio, and I'm Ann Greenhall here with Mike Usim, and we are speaking with legendary broadcaster Merle Reese. Merle, maybe just uh, one follow-up question. Make sure I'm really fo- following. I love that your spotter has hand signals. Are those hand signals universal across all broadcasters, or no. is that private to you and and your At spotter? My spotter.
1: Well, Billy does the the home games. Anthony Bonagura from the Eagles PR staff does the away games. But hmm. Billy started with me back 41 years ago. And he's left, and he, he had a talk show job in San Diego. So I've had numerous spotters, but I continue to use the, sand, the hand signals that Billy and I devised 41 years ago.
2: Mm.
0: So good. Now, maybe a follow-up, and then I'll give the mic back to Mike Useem here. You've been uh, with Mike Quick now since the 90s. Is that right?
1: Uh, Yeah, last year was his 21st year in Uh, the booth.
0: All right, and uh, Mike and I have an interest in that because we've borrowed some of your language in our uh, amateur uh, hosting of radio show. When when I'm here in the seat leading the interview, I'm doing the play-by-play, and Uh Mike to my right here is doing color commentary. Right. But we've found over the years, the five years that we've been working together, that having a nice uh, collegiality, camaraderie, goodwill towards each other has really made the show all the better. Mm -hmm. And that certainly seems to come across in your relationship with Mike Quick. Can you speak to that?
1: Well, it's sincere. I can tell you that it is sincere. Uh, I can also tell you it's not universal. Mm. There have been baseball combinations of, 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 of broadcasters who did not get along off the air. There have been Combinations in, in every sport where there isn't that feeling. Now, I'm not saying that it doesn't exist in, in many cases, but Mike Quick and I were, were on very good terms going back to even Mike Quick as a football player in the 80s, mm-hmm. and we always got along well. And uh, Mike Quick and I, uh, we, we go to each other's family uh, celebrations, Uh, both of us share a love for golf so we do golf quite often during the off season or on the road if the eagles are someplace for a a more than a day Um, we have our breakfast together we very often have dinner together uh, on the road the night before a game Uh, we we're very good friends we'll we'll chat often uh, um, we just chatted the other day because I came back from a, a golf trip we didn't mention football so Mike is a very close friend so I, I it's easy for that to come across because there's Mike and I have have never had a crossword in all these years believe it or not never and it's it's a great feeling when you can work with somebody you like and respect as much as I like and respect Mike and I'm and i I do believe that that comes across. But I can tell you it is very sincere. Mm,
0: That's great. Mike, do you want to follow up?
2: Uh, Meryl, I'm unable to resist (laughs) the the need to ask the following question. Going back to the Super Bowl final minute there, Mm. we had a bit of a replay there of that final play in the Super Bowl. Uh, Could you describe what you did when the game ended? What happened in the booth?
1: Well, a couple of things. Uh, I was asked, going into uh, the broadcast, There was a, 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 a Paul Domwich of the, the Inquirer and Daily News did a, a big story about me, and one of the questions he asked me the week before the game was, have you thought about what you will say if, by chance, the Eagles actually win the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. Will you write something down? Will you? Will you jot down some notes? Uh, some people have actually scripted that moment in mm. all sports for when their team wins a a championship because they don't really want to be hunting around and they know that that those words at that moment are probably going to live forever and ever. And I said to him, No, I will not. Uh, I will not do that because. I have done this long enough that I am confident that the best way to go is just mm. let my pure emotion pour forth. And Angelo Cataldi, who has done the morning show on WIP forever, has often said to me when I'm guesting on his show, "Meryl, one thing I want to see <laughs> after all these years, i more than anybody else, more than the players, more than the owner, I want this team to win a Super Bowl for you so that you get a <laughs> chance to describe it. And I don't mean this to sound phony. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. I always say to him, you know, that's that's nice, but they don't owe me anything. Mm-hmm. I've been doing every game for 41 years. I've had some great thrills. I've done two miracles in the Meadowlands. <laughs> I've done games that I will never forget. I am well compensated for doing these games. I want them to win, but I really want them to win for this fan base. These are people, I've never seen anything like it. There are people who take out second mortgages so that they can purchase season tickets. There are people who don't have the money, but yet come Christmas time, they buy their kids expensive Eagles jerseys and all kinds of memorabilia. And, and put and on Monday in this town you can look at faces and see how tortured people are <laughs> after an Eagles loss or how jubilant they are after an Eagles win. I said, I want this more than anything else. Forget me. I want this for the fans. So when the Eagles won and I just reacted and you heard me say <laughs> yeah. and again this people said, Were you nervous before that last play? Yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> Not about the last play. I was nervous that I, I wanted to get it right. And, again, it was on that opposite side. I'm 120 yards away. I didn't want to have somebody intercepting or the wrong team catching the ball. I wanted to make sure I had it right. I must have pushed my binoculars right through my head. But i, I that's thats what I wanted. Thank goodness I got it right. But uh, thats And so as you heard me say, the ball was batted around, which I could see. And then I saw it fall towards the ground, and I saw the official raise his arms and then cross them towards the ground to signify incomplete. Hmm. So then I said, it's it's batted around and incomplete. And I quickly gazed at the clock, and I said, the game is over. The Philadelphia (laughs) Eagles have won the Super Bowl. And then the next thing that came to mind, I said, Eagles fans everywhere, <laughs> this is for you. And then I just threw out, let the celebration begin. <laughs> and it was strictly from the heart, not on any paper. Oh,
0: so good. So, Merle, I'm sure we have listeners in, in the audience who might aspire to the kind of career uh, that you have chosen. What advice might you give them? <sighs>
1: it's, it's a tough one. It's itself tough one. Uh, I'm going to I, – I went to Temple – well, I started – my dream growing up was to be a quarterback. Oh, very <laughs> but, good. But, but at 5'8 and 140 pounds, that wasn't going anywhere. And I played I, – I tell them when, when you're a kid, just play every sport imaginable. Just really enjoy playing sports. Grow to love it and, and see what happens. Um, I, I did that and I had a mother who, as I said, was a teacher and she, she loved show business and things like that. So as a little kid, um, I, I was given dramatic lessons and everything else and did probably over a hundred television commercials by the time I was 13. Uh But I didn't, I didn't really love that. I was like, you know, Come on, come do your commercial, and then you can go home and put on your old clothes and play football. And so I did it. But as I was going through high school and, and realizing that I certainly – I mean, I, I became a pretty good tournament tennis player, but I, I knew that I was only going so far as an athlete. I thought, you know what, I, I, I always, as a baby, they could put me next to a big radio on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon, and I would sit and listen to – believe it or not – Penn football, and my parents oh. took me out to see Penn football when Franklin Field would attract 60,000 fans, and Penn was one of the leading teams in the country, and on Sundays, the Eagles would attract maybe twelve or 15,000 fans where they played. But So I went, to, I went to see the Penn games, and I would listen to Penn on the radio, and, and, and as by some who was doing the Penn games would speak, I would visualize the things that were going on. And then when I was in high school, it actually says in my yearbook, uh, after it says, Merrill loves dogs, sports, cars, and girls. Uh, After that, uh, it said, and aspires to be a play-by-play sportscaster like Gene Kelly, who was the Phillies broadcaster at the time. Although I also really loved Bill Campbell, who was the Eagles broadcaster.
0: Well, Merle, and- on that note, I think that is the perfect note to pause and to make sure that we give you a very heartfelt and hearty thank you for speaking with Mike Useem and me on the show.
1: Here, here. Well, it's, it's been my pleasure, and it's been a lot of fun. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much for having and me. And we
0: look forward to listening to you for many years in the future.
1: And, and I look forward to doing this for many years in the future. <laughs> okay. I will never retire.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, great, very Merle. good.
2: We thank you, it. Merle. Thank you. Thank you.
0: For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.